title this morning is The Servant King. The Servant King. I want to remind you, because we took last week off from our series in Isaiah uh, to preach the gospel and racism. So just a little refresher. Remember where we left off in our study there in Isaiah is we were talking about the sovereignty of God and we were talking, the titles of the sermons were, How Big Is Your God? Part one. How Big Is Your God? Part two. And we're unpacking the sovereignty of God and one of the points that we are making is that God is sovereign over Cyrus, who is a pagan, secular king, pagan, secular government. And Cyrus will be the means that God will use to bring deliverance to his people. And if you remember, remember at the end of chapter 44, it calls Cyrus what? His shepherd. And then 45 starts that Cyrus is the anointed. And remember how shocking that news is. It still should shock us that, that Cyrus, the pagan king, the idol worshiping king is God's shepherd and anointed. And remember, we made the point that that is Cyrus is a shadow, right? Of a coming king, the king of all kings. Cyrus is simply a shadow of Christ who will come and Christ will be, what does he say of himself? I am the great shepherd and Cyrus is the anointed one of Israel. Um, he, Cyrus comes, did I just call Cyrus the anointed one of Israel? Jesus is the anointed one of Israel. Yikes. You know, public speaking is just a mess sometimes. Israel will need a better shepherd. They will need a better anointed one than Cyrus. Cyrus, Cyrus will do a good day, good, good job in his day. I mean, come on, you know, he's going to set God's people free from captivity and he's going to send them back home to Jerusalem and he's going to finance the rebuilding program of the temple and the city walls. Cyrus is an amazing shepherd and anointed one for the people of Israel, but Cyrus is limited. Cyrus is unable to even remotely touch God's people's greatest problem. Their greatest problem is not that they're in captivity to Babylon. Their greatest problem is that they're in captivity to sin and death. And so this shadow of Jesus being portrayed in 44 and 45 and obviously in the entire book is pointing to Jesus will come and he will be the one who sets his people free, not from captivity to the Babylonians. Listen, he's, he, he will come and he doesn't simply just set us free from our COVID-19s. No, Christ will come and he will deal a death blow to our greatest captivity, which is sin and death. He is the great shepherd. He is the anointed one that Cyrus points to as a shadow. Listen, don't be fooled. Governments, presidents, politicians, political parties can offer some sense of a salvation in the here and now. Did you spend your stimulus check? can offer some sort of 
stimulus package to seek to get us out of our momentary captivity, which, well, our last three presidents have just further put our nation into incredible debt, which we will kick to the next generation. Another story, another time, right? Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can save us from our ultimate captivity. Our greatest problem is not, oh, my finances are hurting a little bit. I'm lacking this or that or the next thing. Our greatest problem in our day is the same problem for the Israelites in this day. It is that they are captives to sin and death. That is our problem. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ has come. He's the great shepherd. He's the anointed one. So here's where we're going in chapter 49. We're going to answer four questions. Who, what, when, and where. Actually, not in that order. Where and when. All right. Who, who are we talking about? It's very simple because it's kind of a tricky passage. We're going to make this very simple. Who are we talking about in chapter 49? What are we talking about? Um, Where are we talking about? And when will these things take place? All right. So Number one, who? Who is chapter 49 about? Because it can be a little confusing at times. Is it, is the servant Israel? Did you hear verse three? And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then in verse five and six, the servant Israel redeems Israel. All right, so the servant is Israel who's gonna redeem Israel. So Is it possible? In what sort of way does Israel redeem Israel? So you get the confusion, right? We need to remember that the Jews are in captivity and they're there in the captivity because of their failure to live for God, their failure to honor God. Actually, it was because they turned to other gods, they rejected the living God and went with the surrounding nations, gods. And they did so in front of or in the watching eye of the surrounding nations. They had failed in their mission to the nations and they no longer lived up to their name, Israel. And their failure is literally a mockery of their historic identity as Israel. You are the people of God. So the surrounding nations, they're watching this and they're thinking, Why would we want to go with their God? They don't even go with their God. Their God is a defeated God. Look at them. They are in captivity to their uh, enemies. And now Isaiah is prophesying of a new Israel, or we might call a substitute Israel, who will live up to the name. Jesus will come and he will embody everything that Israel was to be and failed at. And that's who chapter 49 is about. Shouldn't surprise us. If you've been at Trinity more than two weeks, you know the answer to the Sunday school question. Who's the text about? It's about Jesus. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, I like to think of him as an artist, maybe, might help us. And the artist has his, has his palette out and all the colors and 
He's mixing his colors and he's taking out the blank canvas. And if you start back in chapter one and you're moving forward, it's like the, this grand artistry where the artist is painting. I don't, well, I, you know, if you've ever watched a painter, you, you begin with, I don't know what he's painting, right? And the more the painter goes to the canvas, back to the palette, and begins to put layer on top of layer on top of layer, right? All of a sudden, somewhere along the line in the, in the, in the painter's painting, we, the viewer, start to go, oh, I, I start, I'm starting to see it, right? The more detail that's added to the canvas, the more we start to go, I'm starting to see it. Well, that's the book of Isaiah. That's the book of Isaiah. And with every stroke, the painting is being made more clear and more clear. Actually, actually, clear isn't the best word. It's becoming more glorious and more glorious what's being painted in front of us. And for us, now we're 49 chapters in, into it. We start to go, ah, I see it. I can see it. What Isaiah, the prophet of God, used by the Spirit, has been painting before us is really three things about Christ. In chapters 1 through 39, these chapters point out that Jesus is the king. He is the king. In chapters 40 through 55, Jesus is the servant king. Emphasis on servant. In chapters 56 to the end, 66, Jesus is the anointed, victorious, conquering servant king. So you see like the layers on top of layers on top of layers. By the time we get to the end, we've seen like what the, the, the prophetic words of God through Isaiah is meant to point us. Jesus is not just a king and he's not just a servant. He's the anointed, victorious, conquering servant king. Full display, picture before us. And we're to go, wow, our God's amazing. There are four servant songs in this section. So this is the servant king section, verses four, chapters 40 to 55. So we're in 49. The servant songs come, come to us in chapter 42, 49, 52, and 53. And so we've got two more to cover. They'll be coming not in, in the near future. 42. Verses one through four. You don't need to turn there, but here's some themes that pop up right at the start of chapter 42. The servant will come. He will be chosen and anointed to bring blessing to the nations. All right, that's chapter 42. It's about the servant. If we go back further to an earlier part of the painting, we see that Jesus is the king. Chapters 2, 9, 11 is the emphasis. He's the king, he's the king, he's the king. Chapter 11, the child is a king. Chapter 49, what we're reading this morning, the servant is a child. Chapter 11, verse 4, his words are a weapon. This morning, chapter 49, verse 2, his word is a weapon. Chapter 11, verse 10, his ministry goes out to the nations. Chapter 49, verse 6, he will be a light for the nations. 
Chapter 11, verse 11, he is um, a remnant gathering king. Chapter 49, verse 6, he's a remnant gathering servant. Chapter 11, he is the king. Chapter 49, he is the servant king. And I just do that to help us kind of put Isaiah together. Um, and to, to help us see just the unfolding, glorious landscape of the painting that Isaiah is making before us. So who's chapter 14, 49 about? It's about Jesus, the servant king. What is it about? What is this chapter about? Well, it's about the servant king, <laughs> But we need to dig in and see there's a shift that takes place. The text is almost like a yo-yo. It moves from joy to despair to joy again. Verses one through three again. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away and he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Sounds good, right? It's all good. Yo-yo's up. Verse four. But I, have, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Yo-yo's down. Look at verse 13. You tell me if the yo-yo's up or down. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted, right? So Isaiah is prophetically seeing a day when Jesus will come and what? Jesus will be the suffering, rejected servant king. Verse number four. He will be a despised servant. Look at verse seven. Thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. He's gonna be rejected. The servant king will be rejected by kings. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the holy one of Israel who has chosen you. And here in the despair of none other than Jesus himself, we see God the Father comes to comfort the Son. Verse five, all right? Remember verse four, I've labored in vain, spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Verse five, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. And that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that 
You should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one to the one deeply despised aboard by the nation. It's amazing. God the Father comes, will come. The, uh, the prophet Isaiah is looking to the future Inspired by the Holy Spirit, who knows what Isaiah understands of this? (laughs) But Jesus will come and he will be despised and rejected. And in that despair, God the Father will come and minister to the Son. It's incredible. Let's look to let's look to verse 8. Here's how God the Father Well, we could look we could look at verses 5 through 7 as just the cries of the savior, the servant king. Here's how God the Father responds. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar and behold these from the north and from the west and these from the land of Sin. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted. What a comfort the word of God is to the suffering servant and to the suffering servants of today. Let me ask you, do you know the comfort of God found in the word of God. Like there's not a one of us in here who couldn't say, yeah, there are times when I am just despairing and I'm lacking comfort. And so I ask you, do you know the comfort that's to be found in the very words of God? Are you despairing? Are you lacking comfort? Listen, comfort comes it's more than, right? It's, it's more than a 35 to 40 minute sermon on a Sunday. Praise be to God. I hope comfort comes in the 35 minutes on a Sunday. But listen, we need, we need regular and daily comforts from God, from his word. That's what his word does. That's what his word provides for us. Imagine this. When Christ lived on the earth in human flesh, imagine this, and he was despised and rejected, and he would go to the Father to pray. Do you think he knew Isaiah 49? 
<laughs> right? Like, I think he did. He is the living word. Like, he knew Isaiah 49. It wasn't a trick question. Yes, he knew Isaiah 49. And what a comfort it must have been for him to recall it to memory and to pray it through as he is despised. Did you hear the words there? They're harsh words. But I have said, I have labored in vain. And there's... there's pieces to this that I don't think our minds can fully comprehend. This is the humanity of Christ. Despairing, and he's able to despair, obviously, without sin. His despair looks quite a bit different than ours. He's able to despair fully in faith. We often despair lacking faith. Jesus in his humanity experienced that despair as he goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he begins to sweat blood because of the deep despair for the the cross that lays before him. And he begins to potentially pray through Isaiah 49 and the comfort of the father being prophesied of How long before Jesus set his feet on the earth? He was comforted by the Father. Thus says the Lord, verse 7, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And I believe that's to be instructive for us because we despair. Because verse 14 widens the picture. From the servant, it goes to the people. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you're going, God, where are you? I dare say we've probably all been there. Has God forgotten us? The people of God here in captivity, they're they're asking the question, the Lord has forsaken me. My, my My Lord has forgotten me. God, where are you? And the answer to the question, God, where are you? Is the very assurance of God. He's going to comfort them with his word. His word is a comfort, not only to Christ himself, but his word is a comfort to his people. And so we're going to read this in a minute, 15 to the end of the chapter. But these are the the words of comfort from God the Father. Now, here's the thing. Before we read 15 to 26, these are words to the original audience that are very familiar words. Actually, let's just read it, and I'll come back to the very familiar point that I want to make. All right, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? This is a question. Will, will God forget caring for his children? Can a woman forget a nurse, her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, 
I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is sinful Israel. This is Israel, you're in captivity because of your rejection of me. Ah, but I've written you in the palms of my hand. I've engraved you. Your builders make haste, your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around you and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land. Surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone from where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples and they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. What did the original hearers hear in all of that? It was very familiar language. We hear it very different than they would have heard it. They were hearing Abraham's covenant. Genesis chapter 12. 15, 17, it contains the same language. I will be your God. The language of I will give you land. The language of your children's heritage. The language of I will give you the nations. Listen, the original hearers would have heard this as it was intended to be heard. And we need to note that. We need to, to remember what, is, what were they hearing? What are we to hear this morning? They were hearing God saying to Abraham in his covenant, I am making covenant with you. I will be faithful to you. I will be your God to the end of your days. They knew it in their captivity. They would have heard that language and gone, ah, has the Lord forsaken us? No, remember Father Abraham. What's this chapter about? It's about God assuring his people then and assuring us today through the person of Jesus Christ, who is the servant king. Sing for joy, O heavens, verse 13, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and he will have compassion on his afflicted. But that hasn't happened yet for Israel. And so verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. But they are being told, 
in the midst of their captivity, this is what's coming or this is who is coming. And in the who that is coming, he will come and he will bring you comfort. Breast assured, your God is a faithful God. Be full of faith, Israel. Be full of faith, Trinity. God made a covenant with Abraham and your God is faithful. So rejoice even in your captivity. Rejoice. Now their captivity, they are imprisoned, if you will, to Babylon. Our captivity looks a bit different. But that's their small problem, and that's our small problem. Christ came to free us. The servant king came to free us from our greatest captivity. We are slaves to sin and death outside of the redemption of Jesus Christ. You see, God is not a politician in a political season, in an in a election year. God is not coming to his people because it's an election year and the polls, the, the polls are out there and he's checking the polls to see where do I stand. Me and Tanner love to read um, Calvin and Hobbes. We own them all. We literally own the collector's edition. Thank you, Kaylee. That was a Christmas present many years ago. And we read them and we laugh. And one of, one of the things Calvin does is he comes to his dad and he's like, dad, the polls are in. It's not looking good for you. <laughs> and we just laugh about that. Oh yeah, this is not God in an election year trying to, to, to win the votes of the people. No, this is God bringing assurance to his people, comforting his people as they wonder, God, are you forsaking us? The answer is no. Look to Abraham's covenant that I made with him many years before. And here they are, the people of God, as they look back. No, I'm sorry. As they look forward to Jesus, what's being prophesied, Christ is going to come and redeem you. And they were to look forward to Christ with eyes of faith. And we look backward to Christ came with eyes of faith and we look forward. Christ will come again and he will deliver us finally and eternally from all captivity. Thank you, Doug. It's good to have you back. (laughs) Amen. Do you need comfort in the days in which we live? Sign me up for that. I do. Where do we look? Do we look to ourselves? Do we pull ourselves up? No, they couldn't deliver themselves from their captivity. Neither can we. We look to Christ, our Redeemer. How does the New Testament put he's the servant king? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's a picture, right? He became a servant. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. He became a king. He's the servant king in Philippians 2. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, 
Where will this take place? Very quickly, just a small point I want to make here. Where will this take place? How far reaching is the glory of the servant king? Well, there's a shift that took place in Isaiah. In chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort, comfort, my people. Here's the shift. In chapter 49, verse 1, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. How did verse 8 read? Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages. Verse 6, is it too light a thing, right, that you should be my servant? It's like God asking, is, is Israel's redemption, is, is it too easy <laughs> to raise up the tribes of Jacob? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. All right, so the shift is comfort, comfort my people. In 49, ends of the earth, light of the world is what's going on here. That's where it will take place. Where do we see that in the, in the New Testament? Jesus speaking to his disciples then and now. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When, when will this take place? And if the worship team can join me. The New Testament quoted Chapter 49, it gets quoted a few times. I'm just going to point out two to you very quickly. It's quoted in Acts 13 by Paul. Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. So the crowds are fighting against Paul here. Reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be first, be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy to eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, and now he quotes from chapter 49, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, the nations, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Paul was, was, was doing, Paul was living chapter 49 of Isaiah. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul quotes Chapter 49, verse 8, he says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, quote, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul is saying, chapter 49, verse 8, it's right now. When will chapter 49 take place? Well, it's taking place. It's taking place in the last days. In the last days, according to the, the apostles and the disciples, well, we're in it. It's until Christ returns. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Right now, today. 
Paul was saying, this is the time. It's still the time. It's right now through faith in Jesus Christ. We'd like to pray, today's a great day for salvation. God, save people. The servant king, he is faithful. He is faithful and he comes to assure, to bring comfort to his people. Never has he ever, will he ever forsake you. You have never, have you ever walked alone or known a day? You have never known a day. You didn't know it, but you've never known a day where God the Father has not cared for you, even in the exile. His people then, even in the COVID-19 and even in the, 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 the days in which we're living right now, the servant king has been with you. Yes, captivity is difficult, but the servant king came to rescue you and he will lead you all the way home. Let's stand and let's sing in response to the Lord.